0: I'm going to talk today about the blessing, the blessing. I've taught this before twice, once many, many years ago, and once about four or five years ago, but I just felt today it was fitting. It's got a lot of teaching in it, but I think it'll be enlightening, and I think you'll like it. And to be honest, there's a principle all throughout scripture that the rehearsing of the promises of God and repeating the prophecies of God is an important thing that we must do. And, you know, I talked a while back, and I said, you know, the Bible says, really, we can have what we say. There's that principle. Sometimes we say what we have. And I'm guilty of that, too. We say what we have. And God says, no, 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 you can have what you say. So say what the promises of God are saying. Say what the prophetic words of God say over your life. Because the truth is faith comes by hearing. But not just once by hearing and hearing and hearing and what you hear the most is what forms you and shapes you and, and brings your belief system into your into into how you operate and as a man thinks in his heart so is he and power is released as words are spoken over and over and over and trust is built as we see god's word come to pass and it's fulfilled next week we'll celebrate easter resurrection sunday today's palm sunday but this thursday night would be the timing, you know, if we're going to do it that way, of the Last Supper before the crucifixion on Good Friday. But since we don't have a service here on Thursday, I wanted us to take communion together today. So at the end of service, we'll be taking communion. But I also wanted you to have a better understanding of what we're doing when we commemorate the Lord's Supper, uh, when we partake of communion. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, there are certain traditions that govern many of our family celebrations and our national celebrations, Uh, Fourth of July, we do certain things. Uh, New Year's Eve, we do certain things. And we sort of have come to expect what those things are. Even on Sundays, we're not bound by a bulletin. We're not bound by an order of service. If God says do this, we'll, we'll move in a second and do this. But yet there are certain things that you can usually expect that will happen. In my family, an Italian family, most of our traditions center around food. I mean, they center around food. And my mother, uh, for years, kept menus of what we had the year before and the year before and the year before because we didn't want to miss any good thing that we liked uh, in, in all the, the, the buffet for the 30 or 40 people that came. And so we would had a certain menu and certain dishes prepared a specific way. And so if any of the young men got married, we'd tell the wife, no, 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 you can't use that recipe. This is the recipe our family likes. And we had certain holiday meals. In the days of Jesus, there were certain traditions. There were certain feasts that were observed. One of them, and it actually did, like my family, center around food, was Passover. And the principles of rehearsing the promises and repeating the prophecies was a vital part of the Passover meal. Now, there tend to be two ditches, I guess we'll say, that people can fall into regarding Jewish symbolism the Old Testament types, the Old Testament shadows, and the church today. Now, years ago, if anybody's been here a long, long time, you know one of my favorite things is Old Testament teaching. I love the teaching on the 23rd Psalm, the blood covenant, one of my favorite teachings. I think it's basic that we must know as Christians. The the tabernacle and all the symbolism in the tabernacle, book of Esther, Joshua. I love Old Testament teaching, but what people tend to do is either they totally disregard these things, knowing nothing about Jewish symbolism in Old Testament types and shadows, and don't think it has any relevance to the church today. That's old. We don't need that. I'm new. We don't need that. And they don't care about it at all. Or they have an appreciation for these things to such an extent that they start thinking that the observance and reenactment of these things is, is a requirement, and then they fall into legalism. And see, there is a medium place... That's right for us So for example the tabernacle god's house the altar of incense. I remember being a little catholic girl And I would watch the priest and he'd have this silver thing and he'd wave it walking down the aisle And smoke would come out of it and woo, it was quite a sight and You know, you it was sort of whoo awesome and scary at the same time and and this aromatic smoke would be wafted up to the throne of god But today do I really need to wave a thing around? Like, do I need to go up and down the aisles and wave something and let smoke come out to please God? Or is that incense symbolic of something, a type and shadow of something that it is to be replaced by? And so, as we now know, the altar of incense symbolized the prayer of the saints. So, my prayer is the sweet aroma, the sweet incense that washes up to God. When I pray, that is a beautiful smell in his nostrils. And so, it's what the incense foreshadowed. But it's the fulfillment of the type and the shadow, but I don't need to wave the thing around. It comes out of my mouth. When we commemorate something, commemorate meaning to call to remembrance, to remember, to observe, or to mark by a ceremony. That's what commemorate means. It seems senseless to me that if I'm a call to remembrance or have a ceremony about something, that's just a formality and it's not meaningful to you. You don't have a ceremony about anything that doesn't mean something to you. So you have the ceremony, you do the remembrance because it is important. Otherwise it would be like, okay, let's do a reenactment of our vows for our 25th wedding anniversary, but your marriage means nothing to you. So you don't do that unless you care about the marriage. So the commemoration should be a celebration or a reflection of the real thing. So we need to understand and appreciate what we're celebrating. I think when we come to the communion table, sometimes we don't. We don't even really know what we're... Do- we just, this is what we're supposed to do. They said, This is today we're taking communion. I'll go up there. I'll- and- but we don't get the full meaning. And so today I want to try to delve into that a little bit more. There are types and shadows throughout the Old Testament. The New Testament is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. Covenants, promises, types, and prophecies. Just like a flower in full bloom... Is the fulfillment of the little seed that was planted. As you go from old to new, as with a kernel of wheat or with a seed, there's got to be a death to the old and then the resurrection of that thing in the new. Types and symbols must die. See, we can't just hold on to types and symbols, but spiritual realities must replace them. We don't want to let go of types and symbols and then have nothing. We want to get into the reality, the fulfillment. And so the letter of the law dies, but the spirit still must prevail. Now, many times what's happened is that the type or symbol being dead is no longer what we adhere to. But if we don't know how to connect the type or the symbol to a present-day fulfillment, then we'll never fully appreciate what God is trying to say in his word. And so we miss the beauty of the details of prophetic fulfillment, and they're all through the Bible. He doesn't want us to miss the richness of his truth. So today, before we take communion, knowing that Jesus took bread and wine on Passover night, the night before he died, and he said these words— Do this in remembrance of me. It's important for us to understand what he was really doing. Passover symbolism, I'm going to briefly touch on it. I'm really not the person in the room that should be doing this. There are people that have studied Jewish history. Julia's family, her brother is a Messianic Jewish rabbi. I know many of you have have delved deeply into Jewish symbolism. I've never even been to a Passover Seder, but I will tell you the part I know. And so this is sort of Passover for dummies. And so the the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years. Egypt is a type of the sin of the world. We... Or in the world, and it's a type of the bondage of the oppression uh, in the world, and we are under the oppression of the devil as we live on this earth if we do not know how to claim our rights and be victorious. Now, the Israelites were there 400 years, and I feel like, remember that song we used to sing in the old days, hold on, deliverance is coming? See, that was their theme song, because God kept telling them, deliverance is coming, deliverance is coming, but there was a lot of holding on they had to do, and so God chose Moses as his instrument to lead him out of bondage, if God says you're going to get out, you are going to get out. If God says you're going to go over, you are going to go over. Now, it doesn't mean immediately. It doesn't mean right then. It doesn't mean there won't be some things that happen on the way. But if God says something, he does what he says. And he said in Exodus 3:8, "I have come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians." But a lot of stuff happened on the way to that deliverance. Water turned to blood, frogs filled the land, lice covered everything, swarms of flies came, livestock died, boils covered everybody and their animals, hell uh, killed the crops, locusts covered the land, darkness filled the earth for three days. <laughs> A lot of activity. Sometimes on the way to the promise that God says he's going to do for us, like, how did this happen? Wait, God said, how did that happen? God said, whoa, why did that happen? Hold on, deliverance is coming. So the 10th plague came, the death of every firstborn in the land, whether man or beast, And it was about to begin, and the first Passover was instituted then so that the people of Israel could be saved in the midst of all the calamity. Each Israelite family was going to choose a lamb without spot or blemish. It was to be slain with the blood of the lamb drained into a bucket. Then they put the blood, sprinkle the blood, on the doorpost and lentils of the door. Lentils are not beans. All right, here. (laughs) The lentils. (laughs) The lentils of the door. And so they sprinkle on the doorpost and the lintel of the door, the overpiece. In the New King James, Exodus 12:8 through 14, then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs shall they eat it. Do not eat it raw, the instructions say, nor boiled it all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and entrails. Let none of it remain until morning. What remains of it Until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, ready to go, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land on Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are, and when I see the blood... I will pass over you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague will not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Notice the word ordinance. Do you know that in our bylaws of our church, we talk about the ordinances of our church? Communion is called one of the ordinances of our church. Baptism is an ordinance. Communion is an ordinance. Jesus celebrated Passover to commemorate the Jews' deliverance from Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. But he told us something slightly different. He told us to partake of communion to commemorate our deliverance from sin by his blood. Not the blood of that Lamb, for the Passover Lamb, by his blood. He said commemorate it by the blood of Jesus, our Passover Lamb. And so there was a switchover from the type and the shadow to the fulfillment. And so we have the type, the fulfillment. We have the foreshadowing, and we have the real. So if you know some of the elements of the Passover meal and what they symbolize, I think it'll help you to appreciate the communion table. First, there was a preparation for the Passover feast just as we should prepare for communion. How do we prepare for communion? Now, do we talk about going to get the grape juice, going to get the matzah cracker? No, we prepare our hearts. See, we prepare our hearts. And before Passover, the house of the people partaking had to be thoroughly cleansed. This is my house. This is the house where God dwells. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So we prepare our heart. And so it must be free from leaven. What does leaven symbolize in the Bible? Or yeast? It symbolizes sin. Lord, now it doesn't mean I have to be in some sinless perfection state to receive communion today. But I go, Lord, any known sin that he reveals to you, you go, Lord, I confess my sin. And right that minute... He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us so that we can partake of communion. You don't have to go through some penance. You don't have to go through some rigmarole. You can receive forgiveness right where you are in a moment of time when you confess. That's what the Bible says. So before communion, the heart is cleansed. The Jewish family had a ritual. The mother prepared the kitchen and the dishes while the father went and hid little crumbs of yeast and he put them in the bread, in the cakes, in the cookies, all over the house. The children got to participate, and so they searched uh, over the house and the, and to find the little crumbs. And the father would come along with the big feather duster and a big wooden spoon, and he'd gather up the crumbs and burn them in the fire. We're going to take these things away. And so 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. New King James, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. You're like, what? See, unless you have some kind of understanding of Passover, this makes no sense to you. Since you were truly unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. This scripture wouldn't mean anything if you weren't familiar with some of the Passover elements. It was written to the church in Corinth, and with the full knowledge, really, that the Jewish believers would explain what was going on. See, God is not trying to be mysterious or keep His truth from you. He wants to bring you enlightenment so that every single thing He said can be fulfilled fully in your life. And so, every Jew who was once a child, hunted down those sins. And they saw to it that they were out of the house so that the Passover could be held with purity. Any unlearned fisherman in those days, any tent maker in those days, knew exactly what the scripture was talking about. But sometimes we're just reading it, we're like, what, lump, unleavened, what? And God wants us to have some understanding. So then the Passover, or the Seder table, was set. It included a large decorative ornamental plate, a roasted shank bone of a lamb, a roasted hard-boiled egg, bitter herbs or grated horseradish, choroses, am I saying that one right? Finely chopped apples and walnut and fruit, and carpus, which was parsley or lettuce. So there were certain things, just like we had certain foods in our holiday menu, there were certain things that you will always find on a Passover table. But also on the table, you have three matzahs, the unleavened bread. My son took me to Kenny and Ziggy's, and he goes, let's get some matzah soup, Mom. And I go, I don't know if I'm going to like it, son. And they brought it, and I go, what is this big, doughy, round ball? He goes, Mom, that's the matzah. And so I'm like, and he said it with a little Italian accent, but, but it was delicious. And so if we don't understand what these things are, it's just like words to us. But God wants to give us a picture to know what is really happening here. So there's three matzahs, salt water, the cup of Elijah, and a pillow that was for the left arm of the leader's chair, always in a Passover table. Now, there's a symbolism here. So why these things? The roasted shank bone represents the lamb, slain as a sacrifice for sin. Notice the the shank bone is always unbroken. What does the Bible say about Jesus? Not one of his bones was broken. The hard-boiled egg symbolizes Pharaoh's hardened heart. We don't want our hearts to be hardened. The bitter herbs are a reminder of the bitterness of slavery in Egypt and the bitterness if we are a slave to sin in any area of our life. The Cheroses is like the color of the mortar that was used in Egypt when the Hebrews were slaves. It reminds you of something of the past that you don't want to go back to. The carpus, the little green vegetable, symbolized spring and new life. But there were four cups of wine coinciding with the four promises that God makes. In each cup, there was something that was said. The first cup, I will bring you forth. Beautiful. The second cup, I will deliver you the promises of God. The third cup, I will redeem you. The fourth cup, I will take you unto myself. As part of the Passover meal, the father would take the three matzah loaves of unleavened bread. For us, they're flat crackers. And he will place them in a special white linen envelope with three compartments. In a special ceremony of his own, the father would then remove the middle loaf, three loaves. He'd remove the middle loaf from its compartment. He would break it. He would wrap it in a separate piece of white linen. And then he would hide it or bury it behind a cushion. Many other things are done. Blessings are spoken. One cup had 10 drops representing the plagues that are spilled one at a time. But I'm not going to go into all that. You can read a book. You can go to a Passover Seder. They will explain more to you. But I want to fast forward to the Passover ceremony to the third cup. Remember I said there's four cups something is spoken over each one. The third cup, I will redeem you. It's called the cup of redemption. Remember, we have a buried loaf of unleavened bread, the middle piece. It is eaten with the third cup in the Passover meal. This is where we actually get communion from. It's all about this loaf and this third cup. The middle loaf represents the sun. That loaf you probably guessed it a while ago, is broken. It's wrapped in linen. It's buried, as was the body of Jesus. We bring it forth to eat it with what? The cup of redemption. Because of what he did, we are redeemed. That is what the Jews called it, the cup of redemption. They were doing a physical demonstration, a prophetic act of what was yet to come and didn't even realize that's what they were doing. And so everyone must partake of it, and it's the last thing eaten in the Passover meal. And it's as though the meaning was, if you eat this bread... This is the last bread. If you eat this loaf, it will sustain you forever. Everyone will be okay if you eat this loaf because see, if we partake of him, the living bread, that will sustain us forever. So in the actual ceremony, the father breaks off a piece from his loaf. It's about the size of an olive, just sort of small, and he passes the piece around the table, the pieces. The father then pronounces blessings over both the bread and the wine individually. These particular blessings are central to the New Testament meaning of Passover. Jesus said these blessings at the Last Supper as he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He followed the tradition and the custom of the time. These Jewish blessings do not change. Just like with our recipes, don't change it. Cook it just like we cooked it last year, that's what we want it to be. The Jewish blessings don't change. The words are said over and over, year after year, generation through generation. And so they don't change. And so Jesus himself said these blessings at the Last Supper as he celebrated Passover with his own disciples. Look at Matthew 26, 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He blessed it and he broke it. You know, it's interesting to me that when Paul Sangel has come up and preached some of those little sermons that are so full of revelation. Many of his revelations come because he was reading something and it didn't make sense to him, and he asked God a question. God, what does this mean? God, why did did Mary stand behind Jesus to wash his feet? How does that work? And, And so from questions, a lot of revelation came that was meaningful to him, and then he enlightened us. And so when we read this, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. We can just run over that or we can go, wait, he blessed it. What did he say in that blessing? See, that's my question today. Paul always asked God a question. He blessed it. What was in that blessing? What did he say in his blessing over the bread? The scripture says, this is my body. That was specific, but only after he blessed the bread. Here is the blessing that Jesus repeated that had been said for years and years before. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Who brings forth bread from the earth. And then immediately after he says that blessing, he says, this bread is my body. You bring forth bread from the earth. This bread is my body. Do you get it? He was saying to his disciples, I know you've heard me say, my hour has come. I know you didn't like that. I know you're concerned about all the threats that have been made against my life. And you're, you don't, you're unhappy about that. But you have nothing to fear. God has been bringing forth bread from the earth since the beginning of creation. And I'm telling you, this bread, I have just told you, represents my body. And God will bring my body from the earth. He was foretelling his very resurrection. They didn't get it. They didn't hear it. They weren't thinking along those lines. But in a, he was prophesying his own resurrection just as has been prophesied year after year after year in the Passover meal by Jews for centuries. He foretold his resurrection in his blessing. The bread has always symbolized his body. Each matzo loaf, flat crackers, was striped from being grilled. When we have it today, we have the matzah crackers, right, today? There's little stripes on them. By his stripes, I am healed. There's little holes in it. He was pierced for my transgression. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And yet it is pure, containing no leaven, a type of sin. And the Bible tells us clearly he was without sin, without sin. There is symbolism all throughout the Old Testament. We don't want to be unmindful of it. We don't want to miss any of it. It's not just by happenstance, many of the things we do. And the meaning will be richer if we can grab a hold of some of these principles. So let's go ahead and get the communion elements and pass them out. It might take a minute. We've got three sections. But we need to know some very plain facts. God always has had a plan for us. He's not just trying to figure it out at the last minute. He's got a plan for our life. If he has said prophetic words, he will fulfill them. Even if many things happen that make it look like, oh, that's not going to come to pass. This is not looking good. Hold on, deliverance is coming. The disciples themselves didn't know this prophetic word had been spoken year after. Jesus was not going to stay in the tomb because he finally let them know this bread is my body and it will be brought forth. I will redeem you, but I will come forth and then I will take you to myself. And so God has a plan. The bread that started in Exodus continued in the tabernacle on the table of showbread. That's one of the elements in the, the holy place. Jesus has always been symbolized, but he is our living bread. He was born in Bethlehem. The Hebrew is Bethlehem, a house of bread. He continually used the image of bread I'm the bread of life. He used growing grain as an image that he gives us a picture of all through the Bible. If a kernel of wheat go into the ground, then, you know, it'll bring forth much fruit. He was born in the house of bread. He was baked in the fire. He was wrapped in white linen. He was buried, just as foreshadowed in every Passover ceremony. The Father took the middle loaf, the man in the middle at the crucifixion. He took the middle loaf. He also, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the man in the middle, and finally, he was brought forth from the earth on resurrection morning. He was the firstfruits of many to come. The grave had no power over him. It will not have power over you. We have eternal life. It does not end at an earthly death. We live forever. Uh, in preparation for next Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, that's why I wanted us to take communion today. But here's the truth. We no longer do it in remembrance of the exodus We know, I I love the symbolism of the Passover night. I love when I see the blood, I will pass over you. But now we're doing it in remembrance of Jesus. He said, do this in remembrance of me. I am your Passover lamb. When God sees his blood over our life, he will pass over us. And so he, our Passover lamb, shed his blood. He fulfilled every prophetic type, every prophetic symbol that's mentioned all through the Old Testament. Jesus, our Passover lamb, the risen one. And so, he fulfilled it, and so now we will do it in remembrance of him, knowing that everything he provided for us, we can receive. Now, we'll go, we don't always receive. Yeah, there are hindrances in this world. There is much oppression because of the enemy. There are blocks, but we are victorious in him if we just keep repeating the promises, rehearsing the prophecies, let it not come out of our mouth, because there's power in our words. And so, sometimes we We start getting pushed back by the circumstances we see. And God says, no, 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 come forth, I will take you. And so the stripes, the little holes, by his stripes I'm healed. He was pierced for my transgressions. Break it, his body was broken, that I might be healed. Take, eat all of you, do this in remembrance of him. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Lord, I thank you today as we partake of this in remembrance of you, God, that everything in our body that is not right, we just say that it's like a blood transfusion, God, as we remember you and what you have done and that your blood not only paid the price for our sin, but, Lord, for our healings, for our bodies, for every disease. Lord, we partake of the blood. We do it in remembrance of you. Take, drink, all of you in remembrance of what he has done. A blessing was pronounced over the cup in the Passover meal. We were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And the blessing said this, blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. His body was broken on our behalf. He redeemed us with his precious blood. He rose from the grave just as he prophesied. He fulfilled every promise. He keeps his word. He kept it then and he will keep it now. And so, Lord, we will continue to let your word be on our lips. We will not let other words come out of our mouth, God. We thank you that if you said, by your stripes we are healed, we are healed. And we grab hold of your word. We thank you, Lord, that if you said, uh, if we serve you, Lord, our, our loved ones will be saved. Lord, we continue to pray for them no matter how far they've strayed. God, no matter what it looks like around us, we continue to repeat your word. And Lord, we thank you that your promises are yes and amen, and you fall short in no good thing. And God, you love us, you redeem us, you take us to yourself. Lord, we thank you for intimacy with you. We thank you, Lord, that as we hunger for more of you, we won't be lacking in any good thing. You say that the young lions don't lack our hunger, and neither shall we. And so, Father, I just thank you to fill your people with more of you. Fill your people with your presence. Let your presence overtake us, God, even at times when we least expect it, God. And let us be mindful of your presence. Let us not look to the right or the left, but let us look to you. Let us look to your face, God. And so, Father, we just thank you for more of you, more revelation. God, more of you that as we, as we behold you, we will become like you. So, Lord, thank you that you are doing a work in us. You are doing a work in us. And sometimes you do a work in us, Lord, and we have to see it to believe it. But, Lord, we believe it now before we see it. And so we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen.